Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. And I am excited this morning because I have a young author. Let me tell you a little bit about Benjamin Preston. He is an award-winning business consultant and career strategist. As a consultant, he works with businesses to support their initiatives in marketing, business strategy, operations, employee development, and human resources. He also offers one-on-one coaching for young professionals to create the career of their dreams. So Benjamin, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to have a young leader on the show. It's it's one of our new additions for season two because you are our future. So I'm excited to talk to you. So my first leadership question is, tell us why you decided to write your book, which is entitled Harness Your Butterflies. Where did the idea come from? And when did you publish it? And just share a little bit of the backstory with us. Yeah, so I actually published my book um, in June 2020, which was in the right in the middle of the pandemic. I started writing it before then, but it was just kind of funny timing. I was like, oh, you know, when people talk about book launches, it was not something I envisioned. Um, but yeah, I actually wrote the book um, partially because I had gone through. So a lot of the stuff that's in the book is more tangible, practical stuff that young professionals can do, tools, frameworks, kind of my story of uncovering my journey uh, to try to find an exciting career. And the reason that I wanted to sit down and write it was because being a young professional and having gone through it, I had everyone in my life so supportive, but everyone in my life always telling me, follow your dreams, follow your passions, like just do what you love. And to me, I had no idea what that was. (laughs) Like the no one gives you the tools or the guide or even the frameworks or, you know, kind of that type of tools to help you figure that out. Um, and so for me, it was really challenging just having that advice and having, you know, so, so many supportive people around me be like, follow your dreams, follow your dreams. And I'm like, okay, where do I start? And so for me, having figured all of that out, at least the way that I approached it, I was like, well, this is going to be really helpful to young professionals who are getting told the same thing, but don't actually know what to do. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the reason I wrote it. And the title of it is, is all about the butterflies in your stomach, the excitement that you get when you find something new or when you're working on something that you love. Um, so to me, and my mom always used to tell me that too, like whenever, cause I used to play basketball. So every time I, right before a game, I'd have like these really butterflies in my stomach. My mom's like, that's just your body telling you that you're excited. So I was just right when we were writing the book, I was like that, that title to me felt really comfortable because it was all about this idea of finding what's exciting to you and then working your way toward it in kind of a more strategic way than, than what I originally did. So that's kind of the overview of why I wrote the book. I, I really love the title and I love your mom's response to that. I had an Irish Nana and she used to say to me, when you get butterflies in your stomach, 
it's just a gentle reminder that your ego is not involved. Mm. So powerful title. And I'm, I'm excited to, to have a read of your book to, to hear from a young, brilliant mind perspective. So congratulations. My second question has permanent residency on the podcast. So every guest, and we've interviewed over 100 guests and, and growing strong. What imperfections do you bring to your heart-centered leadership? Yeah, um, I, I always think that empathy is extremely important. And it's something that I work on all the time. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I will not say I'm not an expert at it, but I think at least for me, I had one of the biggest uh, people that made an impact in my earlier career was Brene Brown and all of her conversations around vulnerability, empathy, kind of that thing. And I wasn't necessarily raised with that sort of <laughs> that style of parenting. Like my parents were always very much like, don't, you know, any problem that we have stays in the family, don't show any weakness, that type of thing. And then having in the working world, you can't do that because it's just exhausting to always try to be perfect all the time. Um, so for me, I think my biggest thing there is empathy. And I know you've talked about some of the topics that you were interested in chatting about. Share with us your perspective or maybe your own life or work experiences. How can professionals move into a management position or a role, leadership role, and I know that you feel passionate about being able to hone skills, and I like to call them heart-centered leadership qualities. How can you move into a leadership position but not be bossy? Yes, that's the major question. I think the term bossy to me is, it's like a trigger word for a lot of people because it implies rudeness. It implies kind of like all of the negative traits that often are associated with leaders. So to me, I think, when you're looking to be a leader and when you're looking to move up, the biggest thing is understanding your strength. And this is where I start with in the book. This is where I start with all the young professionals I work with. Um, always understanding your strengths, what you're good at. And then that's going to be the thing that you double down on moving forward. But then once you actually have this baseline of understanding what you're good at, you have the confidence. Because I think that's the biggest thing that comes with knowing your strengths and applying them is the confidence that you get. Then working on the actual mobility part of it, which is often tied to soft skills and I'm, I advocate more on the side of humility as a soft skill more than I think a lot of career kind of strategists do. Because as a young professional, oftentimes you look at the working world and you see everything that needs to change. And part of that is lack of experience, but part of it is looking at the world through new lenses. So I think when we approach work, at least from a young professional standpoint, you see a lot of things that are wrong. And your response to that is to want to just change it and be kind of the boss and be bossy about how you go about changing things. Um, but to me, the mobility comes with understanding soft skills and then approaching it with humility and, and showing people that you're on their side and that you want them to work with you. Um, and sometimes it's a little bit weird when you step into a management role, having been peers with a lot of people, because then you automatically have to sort of put on that hat of being the leader, the manager, the boss. And you, it's like you almost have to take the personality or the personal experience out of it, um, which, which a lot of that, the bossy traits come in in that respect. But yeah, I always advocate soft skills and then investing more in humility in terms of upward mobility. Well, and it's interesting because I remember as a young girl, you know, I was told by a teacher, you know, don't be bossy. And then, and then you, you look ahead as the decades fly by and it's like, 
if you come into contact with someone who's bossy, foster those leadership skills. So it's interesting, you know, how we come full circle with that specific word. And you're right, it is a trigger word, but you can hold that leadership position and implement the emotional intelligence and align it with your, you know, intellectual ability and still deliver a message with heart-centered leadership qualities. So well done, good. It's a nice perspective to hear from a young person because I think it is a trigger word for your generation. And I think, yeah, and it's interesting too, it's almost like people are trying to re-own the word because to me, at least the word bossy is like, you don't want to be seen as bossy, but everyone wants to be a boss. So like, I've seen a lot of um, kind of empowerment things for young professionals where it's like, be a boss, be your own boss, a lot of that type of stuff. So I think the word is transforming a little bit, but there's so much, and I mean, even you brought up the gender thing too, like that's, it's so unfortunate that that's the position that we, you know, instead of being like, you're assertive, you're a leader, like for young girls, especially, that's a really powerful message to be like, you're bossy, don't be bossy. It's like, no, absolutely be a boss. Like you're a boss, you can do whatever you want, you know, and that's, and that's the message for everyone, but it's, it's just crazy that, that that negative connotation has been associated with such a, an aspiration that a lot of people have, is to be a leader, to be someone who can make an impact. And we're, you know, siphoning off people by saying, don't be bossy. And it's like, well, that's eventually where we want people to get to. So <laughs> we should be encouraging that more than discouraging it. Well, and find me a leader who has rose to the top that followed the pack. Leaders don't follow packs. They carve their own path. And you don't get to leadership by being like everyone else. It's by being different. It's by being a vivid visionary. It's seeing things that people don't. And you can be assertive and still be friendly. Yeah. And, you know, when you wrap appropriate boundaries around that, it's just a win-win situation. So, again, it's delightful to hear a perspective from somebody who's, who's young and on his way to the top. Hopefully boss, yeah, at some point. <laughs> so my last leadership question is, when I asked you three words that made you think of heart-centered leadership, you alluded to empathy, confidence, and trustworthy. And my question is, I know that you are the co-founder of the Hereditary Cancer Foundation. So tell us the backstory of why you created that and how you implement the three top heart-centered leadership qualities that you have. Yeah, so a background on the um, Hereditary Cancer Foundation. So my mom uh, in 2005, well, in the year 2000, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer and then 2005 passed away um, with, after a lot of battle with cancer. And that was in my formative year. So me and my older sister, I mean, I have a younger sister too, but me and my older sister were along with this journey with my mom. We were in a lot of hospital visits, uh, kind of watching her experience a lot of this stuff. What we found was after, uh, and this was years later, probably like 2009, 2010, we found out that a lot of the treatments that they had been giving her were actually worse for her and they were actually causing more harm than good because she had a certain hereditary uh, gene in her, in her system, on her DNA that certain treatments actually are worse for certain types of people that have different um, gene mutations. So yeah, so that was kind of a thing for me. And we were, and me and my sister were really impacted by that because we're like, oh, well, that would have been nice to know. And, you know, science comes a long way and it's, you know, you look back and you're like, wow, that, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we can help a lot more people now. 
Um, but my sister and I, when we were both 19, well, my sister is 14 months older than me. So she was 20. I was 19. Uh, we went to go get genetic tests because we were like, well, you know, obviously our mom had it. Let's go see if we have this mutation as well. So we went to go get tested. We found out we're both positive for multiple, you know, BRCA1, BRCA2, uh, all these other kind of, there's different mutations and different strands and stuff. So, but we had no idea. And our mom was kind of the poster, the poster woman for hereditary cancer. And 10% of cancers are hereditary that run in families. Uh, and they tend to go younger and younger. So like my mom got it when she was 30. Uh, and my sister has a, is now at 80% risk of having breast cancer. But all of this kind of world for us was completely foreign. Um, so we said, you know, hey, let's actually go because between where we grew up in, we, were, we grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, but in the Midwest, hereditary cancer rates are a lot higher than other places in the country. Um, so we kind of saw an opportunity there, a lack of information from doctors, especially the people that we, you know, grew up with, didn't know a lot of the science, didn't know a lot of the information. And then people actually getting access to taking fund or to take tests, the funding to take tests is like it was at the time, about $6,000 to get a test. So between those three things, the high risk cancer, the lack of information for physicians, the lack of support for patients, we were like, hey, let's actually put create a foundation, sit down and come up with a plan of how to how to help people. Um, so that we ended up creating the Hereditary Cancer Foundation that raises awareness um, with physicians to help them understand high-risk cancer and kind of being able to help them advocate on behalf of their patients, as well as subsidizing the cost for tests, for genetic tests. Because a lot of families, uh, if you think of like middle-class families who need to get tested, if they have, you know, $5,000, they're not going to probably not going to spend it on a genetic test. They're probably going to put it toward, you know, feeding the kid, putting it toward college tuition, getting groceries, fixing the car, like those type of practical things. Um, but we didn't want people to not have the information because there's a lot of health, you know, outcomes that come with knowledge and being able to predict, am I, you know, should I go get tested for cancer every three months? Like those type of things are really important. So that's kind of the, the probably longer than it should have been introduction to the Hereditary Cancer Foundation. Um, in terms of the way that I apply different, the different tools of being trustworthy and empathetic and kind of being able to be, have confidence in that. There's a lot of, I think, hard conversations that I've had to have, and I know even more hard conversations that my sister has had to have with people who have cancer or kind of are theoretically on their deathbed, and they're calling us saying, hey, can you get my kids tested for hereditary cancer? Like, oh my gosh, breaks my heart. Because these parents are literally in the position that my mom was in when they, you know, my mom was making the same plans for us. And I was just like, now I'm on the receiving end of that, being able to help and support them and being like, I know exactly where your kids are right now. I know exactly what they're going through and just, and, and saying, yeah, it still sucks, but like, at least I can be here as a resource for you where my mom didn't have the same level of support. Um, so yeah, that kind of, I mean, even thinking about it, I'm getting like a little bit like <laughs> shaken up, but I love the stuff that we're doing there. And I think just being able to work with so many really passionate people and really impacting people on the ground level is, is really huge for me. Well, and it's such a beautiful memory and keeping your mom's legacy alive. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I can feel, and I mean, we're on video here looking at each other, but I can feel your hearts in this. I too have lost uh, a few members of my family to cancer and I've got a few friends going through cancer treatment this summer. So it's something that affects us all. And like your book, you're, you're harnessing your butterflies and you're pushing through something that's really painful, but 
your heart-centered leadership and relatability to these families, it's immeasurable. It's beautiful. Yeah. No, and it's it's such a it's such a awesome. I mean, it. I don't like the circumstances in which I get to inter or uh, interact with people or rendezvous with people, but it's just such a nice kind of like wink from my mom every now and then when I get to meet somebody who's just so full of life, even though they're going through treatment or, you know, it's just, you just gonna see a different side of people that's more authentic. It's more like, I don't know. It's just, it's heart filled. Yeah. It's very full. And I like, I like having those interactions, those rendezvous with people, um, with all, with all walks of life. So very happy to be doing it. Well, that's, it's a beautiful initiative and it, it aligns with the work you're doing and your book. So it's, it's kind of a full circle moment for you. So congratulations. I'm going to switch gears now and, and ask you my, my fast fab four. So here we go. First question. Tell us something that we don't know about Benjamin Preston. Um, I, well, I don't know if you can see it. I love indoor gardening. Like I, at some point when I have, am able to build my own house, I want to have a greenhouse that I can just fill with plants. I love, I, this is like a small amount. I have so many more on the patio, um, but I love indoor gardening. Okay. Finish this sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is? Vulnerable. I like that. Vulnerable. Next question, share with us a book that you want to read or one that you just finished and share with us why you want to read it or why you just read it and the title and the author. Yes, um, the okay, it's a book that I started. It's I'm a couple pages in and then I moved. So I haven't, I ha it's probably I ha six months ago. It's a book called Educated and I don't remember the author. I might have to look it up, but her it's a memoir of her story. She grew up, um, I believe she was a Mormon, uh, kind of like didn't go to school. The, the, I, I haven't read the full book, but the kind of the synopsis is she didn't go to school because um, her parents didn't want her to. And one day she had, you know, there was some medical thing that happened. She had to go to the hospital. They found out as a 12 year old girl that she'd never gone to school. And that's about where I left off. But then she goes on and then, you know, according to her bio and stuff, she goes on to go to school to get a master's and a PhD and write a book about her experience. So it's a, it's a biography of, from her talking about her experience of not having gone to school and then her struggle to kind of figure out how to socialize um, in that sort of structure and infrastructure having never done that before. So that's the book I am, that's my next book on my list that I want to read. That's amazing. And I, I actually saw that book in, because I'm in Canada and in Indigo and it's Tara Westover. Okay. And I, I remember the cover because I think it's a, a rural field with a school desk. I remember it being impactful as soon as you said it. So I might have to go grab that. So I always love sharing because I'm an avid reader and I always am intrigued to hear what other heart-centered leaders are reading. My mentor told me 30 years ago to always read two books, have one for personal, just a fun, no think book, just read a story and then always have one where you're learning. So I might have to pick that one up. Yeah, I had, I think it was a recommendation on Barack Obama's, uh, that's how I originally heard about it. It was on his book recommended list. And then I had another friend who had read it because she's a teacher. She works with a lot of special education. Uh, and she told me, she's like, you need to pick up this book. You need to read it. And I was like, all right, I've seen it in two places. I've had multiple people tell me at this point. So I need to read it. But yeah, it's that's on my amazing. bookshelf. It's over here. <laughs> 
Okay, my last question. What is one thing you would like our listeners to remember about you? Remember about me? Um, I would say this is a maybe, maybe hopefully an a-, a good answer. Um, I was po- it was possible for me to create the career that I love and the career that I'm passionate about. And it's, it takes work, but it's not difficult. Like you are fully able to do that. Um, I am a living example. I get to have great conversations like this every day. I get to work with great clients every day. Um, my passion for my work will most likely change and I'll probably pivot and do other things in the future. But if you can get to a place where you're happy doing what you love, it's very possible. I am an example of that. Deb's an example of that. Like, like we get to do what we love every day. So if you, if you are passionate about something, if you want to do something, I would just say, go, you know, take the first step and start making it happen. There's no time like the present. And I, I think you and I really embrace living in the now. We've, we've lost family members to cancer and it gives you a different perspective. And I always say to my young leaders, why not you? Why not carve that path? Well, Benjamin, delightful to meet you. I loved having you on the show. I'm very excited about your book. I'm going to definitely get a copy. I love the title. And I just want to wish you all the best in your future endeavors. And I'm grateful for your time and your expertise and experience that you bring. But more importantly, thank you for sharing your heart. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was really great. You've been listening to the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart-Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.